Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. just sung this song that spoke of uh, each of us having an eternal soul. And, and we sung that for each of us, um, it's personally well with my soul. And, and I hope and pray that that is the case for each one here today and for each one that's listening online today, that you truly know in your heart and in your mind that things are right with God and, and that you know where you'll end up in eternity. Uh, scripture makes clear that we don't have to just hope for the best, but we can know that we have eternal life and that knowing comes uh, when we believe in Jesus as our Savior and, and receive forgiveness of sin in him. The passage of Scripture we'll be looking at today as we continue our study in First Peter is in chapter 2, and there it refers to the human soul a couple of times. And if you have uh, one of these scripture journals and are marking them up, maybe you just want to note that. And it comes up a few other times in our studies of Peter as he talks about the soul. Um, he reminds us here that out of concern for our own souls and for the souls of people around us, uh, we need to take a good look at how we're living our daily lives. I invite you to stand in reverence to God's word as I read uh, in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, beginning with verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, you do, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who, just, who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And by his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let us pray. <clears throat> Lord, we just give you thanks for your word today, and we pray that uh, you would help us, that, that as we recognize what Peter is talking about, the importance of um, understanding our own soul that is eternal and also um, that there are those all around us um, that need to know that and need to know 
um, and be prepared for eternity. Uh, we, we ask that you'd speak to each of our hearts and that you'd lead in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> so first then, let's consider the reality of the eternal human soul. And you know, when I think of the, this word soul, I can't help but think of an old history book that I have um, that, that lists all of the Norwegian Lutheran congregations in the United States back in 1915. And it gives all kinds of details about them and shows the picture of, of uh, those congregations. A lot of them were rural churches. Uh, and, and it tells us about the formation of the congregation, including how many charter members they had. And it refers to them as a certain number of souls. And for instance, there was a country church that was just uh, down the road from where I lived until I was age six that, that started with 76 souls. And then in parentheses, it, it adds this, six svensker. Now that's six Swedes. The author recognized that, that even Swedes are souls. And I, was, I was curious um, how many times this word soul is used in the Bible. And uh, one source I found that counted them and, and came up with 754 times in the Old Testament and another 102 in the New Testament, so that's 856 times. That's a lot. The concept of the soul must be important. And as I studied more concerning the use of this word in the Bible, I found that the soul is not just a part of who we are, but it is who we are. The soul refers to the essence of human beings that gives them life and personality and moral responsibility. It's the center of our identity and will, the seat of our thoughts and emotions and desires, convictions and affections. And in light of that, it might be more correct then to say it this way, I am a soul that has a body, rather than thinking of ourselves as a body that has a soul. According to scripture, human beings are, are different from animals, in that who we are lives on even after our physical body dies. And one day when Jesus Christ returns, each of our bodies that have died and have been placed in the grave will be resurrected and reunited with our soul, and the whole person then will stand before our Creator God and answer for our earthly lives. And in light of that, then Peter tells us here that there's, this, there's coming this day of visitation for all mankind. Verse 12 refers to that here. Well, who will be visiting? Uh, this is referring to that day of the return of Jesus Christ, when he again visits the earth and, and ushers in then judgment day for all mankind, no matter what their ethnicity. And the Bible tells us that we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And in light of this sin, Peter urges Christians to guard our own souls. That is to be on guard spiritually so that we don't fall away from the faith and go lost for eternity. And then he also calls Christians to live with a concern for the souls of those around us, recognizing that there are precious eternal souls all around us who will spend eternity either in heaven or in hell. And we need to live our lives concerned to not lead any of them astray. And this reality then of the eternal human souls is to shape our relationships in the world. As we look at verses 11 and 12 here, um, we think about that here. We by nature tend to try to fit in with what others living around us are doing. And so we do what they do so we don't stick out too much. 
Um, if, if we don't have a strong moral foundation, that means then that we might end up doing whatever others are doing um, and whatever our inner cravings dictate. And so Peter reminds fellow believers that our relationship with Jesus has changed our relationship with the world and, and changed the mindset that we should have as we're living here. And we are then to consider ourselves, he says, as sojourners and exiles on earth. Some interesting words there to describe our relationship to the world. A sojourner is one who lives in a foreign country, but is an outsider. And an exile also has that meaning of a foreigner, but, but it also has this emphasis of being a visitor just for a brief stay. And so Peter is telling us here, we are foreigners here on this earth, just here for a brief stay. Um, one commentator adds to that this then, as, as long as we are in this world, there should be in our lives as Christians a certain detachment. So how about you and I? Are we detached or attached to the things of this world? Do we live with a daily mindset of not really belonging here and just passing through on the way to eternity or do we tend to forget that and live overly attached to our earthly possessions and, and forgetting that really they're just lent to us by God for a time? Peter, and his apostle of Jesus Christ, learned a detachment to the things of this world as he followed Jesus wherever that would take him. And, and as Christians, our, our awareness that humans are eternal souls helps us to not be so attached to the things of this world and also to not be so drawn then to the lifestyles of worldly people around us. And Peter says here in verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. As Christians, we live seeking to abstain from fleshly lusts because they wage war against their souls. The, the world tells us, indulge yourself all you can. This world is all that there is. But we Christians recognize that doing so can actually end up jeopardizing our eternal soul. And to abstain then from fleshy lusts means that we are to keep ourselves somewhat aloof from the impulses that belong to our selfish lower nature. We are to abstain from fleshly lusts because they wage war against our souls. That is, they carry out a military campaign, so to speak, against us. We need to remember that we are in this spiritual battle here on this earth and we have three enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh. And our own, own flesh then wage, <coughs> excuse me, wages war on our soul. It is like a traitor um, out to sabotage the operation and keep us from reaching eternity in heaven. And so even as Christians, we must be constantly on our guard lest we live according to the flesh rather than according to the spirit. Jesus said in, in Mark chapter 8, For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? For what can a man give in exchange for his soul? As Christians, we're also to live then constantly aware that, that our behavior shapes our life witness. And so he says in verse 12 here, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And, and this is an amazing thing to consider then, that, that God can use us. And, and he can use the way that we live our lives to point someone to the Savior and thus to change their eternal destiny. And the result then can end up being that they would be spared on Judgment Day because of our example and our witness. 
I think of an example of that. And, uh, there was a guy named Ed Wilmont. Ed had a backhoe and dirt business, and he was hired um, to bring a load of dirt to our backyard at the North Home Parsonage about 30 years ago when we lived up there. And uh, after dumping that load of dirt there, I remember visiting with Ed in the backyard, and, and he, he told me this. He said, Pastor, you won't see me much in church. Ed was known for his drinking and smoking and rough language and hanging out in the bars, and he was on a second marriage. I didn't let his actions or his coarse language that day offend me. Uh, we just chatted about various things in life, and I didn't see much of him. But it was a couple years later that Ed came to me, and he said, Pastor, you've got to help me. My wife just left me for another man. And I gave him a listening ear that day. And honestly, much to my surprise, he accepted my invitation to church that next Sunday. And with some of his neighbors in Mizpah working on him as well, his heart softened, and he became a regular churchgoer. And after a few weeks, I had an opportunity to share the way of salvation with him personally. And he eventually went through membership class, and he began regularly reading his Bible on his own. And although we weren't able to save his marriage, I believe we had a part, as a congregation, we had a part in saving his soul. And though he still had some rough edges uh, in, in the time I knew him, um, when he died years later, I, I firmly believe that because of our church witness, uh, we will see Ed in heaven someday. As followers of Jesus Christ, our relationship to the world has changed to that of being in the world and yet not of the world, and, and instead to be one of rescuing people from the world for eternity. And knowing the relationship, or excuse me, knowing the reality then of the human eternal soul is also then to shape our relationship to other things as well. In, including, it goes on to tell us in verse 13, our relationship to government leaders. And there it says, Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. And you know, I, I find this exhortation of Peter hard to accept at times as I, as I see corruption in various places in our state and federal governments. And, and I, I think it's important that we remember that ultimately God has given us the president and governors that we have. And scripture tells us that in general, such are sent by him really to stave off anarchy by punishing evildoers and praising rightdoers. And we can think of examples of that certainly around us locally. Our local police work is under government leaders in our area um, to keep highway traffic from being a free-for-all and to keep personal property protected and to keep thieves from stealing from stores and so on. And, and so we are to cooperate then with the traffic laws and property laws for the good of society. And we see merit in, in cooperating with such human institutions in those situations. But what about when government holds up evil and condemns godliness? What should we do in those situations? Are, are we free to then just disobey and run our own lives or or do we have to submit to their laws? That's, that's some of the challenge we face. And essentially, Peter tells us here that we are living as free and yet not free at the same time. He says in verse 16, live as people who are free, but, then he says, but not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. 
As Christians, we've been freed from the guilt and condemnation of our sins. And we are forgiven in Jesus Christ. But that doesn't give us license then to do anything we feel like because we have bound ourselves willingly then to Jesus Christ as our new master. And scripture tells us that that means then even submitting to government leaders as long as they don't ask us to do what is contrary to God's word. And that means that if the law says we are to pay taxes, then we're to pay taxes. Jesus told Peter that specifically. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. However, we have a privilege in our country that Peter didn't have under Roman rule, and that is that of having a voice in the political system and the decision-making. Um, and, and so then, we have opportunity and responsibility to influence our society, and that means voting. It also means speaking out on issues in which we have biblical convictions. And for the most part, then, we Christians are to be law-abiding citizens so that doing good can silence the ignorance of foolish people. And there are plenty of folks in the media and in public office and in the general flow of people all around us that would like to brand Christians as radical fundamentalists, as kind of a menace to society, but they are misinformed. And it's our job as Christians to set them straight, first of all, by the example of how we live our own lives by being so exemplary in our lives that they will not be able to see any hypocrisy and they'll be silenced and hopefully even drawn to the one that we serve, Jesus Christ. There's one other thing that Peter says here regarding our relationships in general and particularly our relationship with government over us. There in verse 17 he says, Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. And honor is a key in our treatment of those in authority. And we sometimes may wonder, well, how can I honor a president or a governor if, that, if I don't like them or, or don't agree with their philosophy of government? Well, we can and we should still pray for them regularly, still respect the office, and still treat them respectfully in our interactions with them. And so knowing the reality that we humans, our eternal souls, should shape our relationship to the world in general, and to government leaders, and then also, as you go on here, to shape our relationships in the workplace. There he reminds us, even though some have masters that are unreasonable and still we're there to submit to them and to respect them. And Peter's addressing here then some believers in Jesus Christ who were even household slaves. Some of them didn't necessarily have very nice bosses, and, and yet he tells them <clears throat> that they're to submit to them and to serve them in such a way that even they then would come to see Christ is living in them and be drawn to him. As far as I know, none of you are slaves today, literally. Some of you might feel like it at times as you go off to work some days. Some of you might <clears throat> um, have such not, not so good or gentle bosses at the workplace. <clears throat> what do you do in those situations? Verse 18, he says, be subject to them with all respect not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. They might not deserve such respect. However, as Christians, our conscience is bound by God. He shapes our response to harsh treatment of those that are over us. And, and Paul reminds us, for instance, in Colossians, do your work heartily. Why? Because you're doing it as unto the Lord. That brings us to this last section here. As you look at verse 21 and following there, there we see more about our Savior and our model in, in difficult relationships. 
And there he tells us that Christ's suffering is really our example when we're treated unjustly. Sometimes we might be justly treated when we are treated harshly in that we are getting what we deserve for some not-so-exemplary behavior. But Peter here tells us, uh, as, as one who knew Jesus quite well and, and who lived in close relationship with him for at least three years, yet he says this about Jesus. He says he committed no sin. There was any deceit found in his mouth. He willingly suffered unjustly, and he did it for our sake. Verse 23, when he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to the one who, just, who judges justly. Jesus' suffering brought our salvation. His concern, you see, was eternal souls. Verse 24 says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds we've been healed. And it's a realization of his sacrificial love for us that then motivates us in our daily lives. His suffering motivates our loyalty to him and uh, how we live then as a result. He submitted himself to be hung on a cross, to, to suffer and to die, and he did that for you and me. And in light of that, then the least I can do is live my short earthly life for him. Lastly, notice what Peter says here about Jesus as you look at verse 25. He says, he's the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. And like a shepherd cares for each one in his flock of sheep, so Jesus cares for each one of us as eternal human souls. And, and the reason that he asks us to live detached from fleshly passions is because he knows that they wage war against our souls. Meanwhile, Jesus wages war for our souls. And he calls us then to be concerned for the eternal souls of those around us. At pastor's conference this past week, we pastors were reminded of our role as under-shepherds, under Jesus, the great shepherd. And with our greatest concern then to be eternal souls that are allotted to our charge. And it is that concern then is to be the motivation for Pastor Ryan and I as we preach and as we teach. And that means then sometimes sharing the law to warn our sheep of things that are a danger and that wage war on their souls. And other times in sharing the gospel of God's grace and forgiveness, which is like a healing balm to hearts and, that are beat up by sin and the trials of life. We serve under Jesus, the good shepherd, who laid down his life for the sheep and who knows each one of his sheep by name and they know, and they know him. And Peter speaks here in verse 25 then of this tendency of sheep to stray. And if there are straying sheep who are listening here today, the good shepherd is calling your name and he's saying, come back to the one who cares for your eternal soul. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we, we thank you for your word. And this reminder, Lord, uh, this, this life is not all that there is. Uh, you have created each one of us as, as eternal human souls who will spend eternity in one place or the other, in heaven or in hell. And Lord, may that reality shape our lives, how we live personally. And Lord, may it help us then that we would seek to be good examples and witnesses for you, that others too would, would know the reality of, of them being an eternal soul and, and the need to be right with you here now.
while they live this life. And Lord, we ask that you would help us as a congregation to be that kind of a witness that would be examples um, in, in how we live and the love we have for others, that they would be drawn to Jesus, the one who loves their soul. Uh, we pray in his name. Amen.